book of Daniel, and we are in Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Let's pray before we begin. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Anyone need a Bible? Anybody? We have one back there. Anybody else need a Bible? Pastor Scott, you need a Bible? You got yours? All right. Bible, Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just for this wonderful book, Lord, and how the theme of Daniel, that you are in absolute control, how we need to be so grounded in that, Lord, that you are in control. You are, too. We agree to a man, to a woman this evening. You're in control, Lord, and we just thank you, Lord, that this historical record of Daniel is available. You've made it available to us, Lord. I just pray, bring it to life this morning in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. We also pray for the youth group. We pray for Rock the World. We pray for nursery. Just I pray that your spirit would be moving amongst all these ministries this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Yeah? All right, okay, they're playing games with me. Don't do that, come on. James, just because I said that about you. Um, Verse one of chapter six, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. Now, when I think of the word satraps, I think of this guy well, like with sashes and a turban and, and who knows what the, exactly what they uh, looked like. But they're basically governors is what they are. And there were 120 provinces by this time uh, where the Persian kingdom and the uh, Persian kingdom and the kingdom of the Medes had sort of come together there was a hundred Babylonian provinces, but this chapter six is a continuation, uh, really, from chapter five. The last verse of chapter five says, "Darius the Mede received the kingdom." And as we saw last week, Belshazzar, grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, was having a great feast with all his concubines, his lords, his his. Uh, his wives and there was a thousand people and they were all getting drunk and they were getting drunk using the very vessels from the temple of the Lord. Meanwhile, outside of the city of Babylon, the, the Persians and the Medes, they had been attacking Babylon, the city of Babylon for quite some time, but it's one of those cities that was the walls were so thick and so high that it was basically impenetrable. And this is how man gets, right? We, we feel like there's, we, we, we put up things in our life where we feel like, oh, they're never going to fail. Like 401k, it's just sitting there, that big old thing out there. Some of you may be able to say this. I don't know. Um, and it's just going to protect me, uh, whatever, till I die. And 
Jesus says in, in, in the book of Luke, remember the guy who was always building bigger barns, and he said, you fool, you're, this night your soul is going to be required of you. And, and this is just another example. This confidence in the flesh, uh, all of a sudden five fingers appear on the wall, you know, writing, he panics, he turns white, he uh, freaks out. Daniel is called in for an interpretation, and we see it in verse 25, many, many, tekel a parson, many, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And what happened, just as was predicted, prophesied in the book of Isaiah, they had dried up part of the Euphrates. There were two, the Euphrates actually went through the, the, the city, but there were two enormous doors there and uh, that w- were almost like moats, sort of like the doors to the river. Uh, they got the Euphrates so low that the armies of the Medes and Persians got in and took over that night. It says, that very night, verse 30, the, the Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, was slain. And so Darius the Mede uh, took over. And so uh, we're going to put up these really, really, a couple of these really, really cheesy um, images again. Remember the image from Daniel chapter 2? You guys remember that? The head of gold, Babylon. Now, if you weren't with us, and if you don't remember Daniel chapter 2, remember Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He had a dream, and, it was a, and he, he called in all his counselors and said, tell me the dream and the interpretation. They said, okay, we'll tell you the interpretation, but you've got to tell us the dream first. No because then you'll just make up an interpretation. Tell me the dream. And so, uh, and by the way, if you can't, I'm going to start killing all of you. Well, they couldn't do it. He started killing them. Then Daniel uh, received a vision from the Lord, and this is what it was. The Babylon head of gold, Media Persia, is, is the chest of arms and, and silver. Remember then, he, uh, the image had the belly and thighs of bronze, and that... that you know, represents Alexander the Great, Greece, Rome, the legs of iron, and then finally, the feet mixed of iron and clay. And we talked a lot about how even the European Union today, uh, definitely shaky and fragile compared to the the conglomerate of nations that Rome ruled with an iron fist. But um, many believe that's what the feet mixed of iron and clay. But now we're at the, the second one. Let's go ahead and show the other one. You see? Check out that dude. Oh, man. This is, this is sad. But you guys didn't see this one, this last one. Are we going to see this last one? Ooh, you guys didn't see that. Now look at, remember the rock cut out of stone? There it is, right there. It's smashing the feet. And that's what happened in this dream. And the whole thing came down. And then we just talked about how uh, Daniel chapter 2, it's, it's, that's when Messiah comes in and establishes his kingdom. 
uh, is when that, that final kingdom represented by iron mixed with clay is, is, brought to, is brought to an end. So there you have it. Boy, you guys are good. You put up with this without groaning or anything. Um, if, hey, look, if some of you want to make a better image that's not as cheesy as that, please, I, I've, you know, do we have some people who draw in here, right? Yeah, right there. Oh, yeah, Tiara, you can make a better image than that. I mean, those are terrible. The, the, the World Wide Web deserves a better image than that. But anyway, they are educational, though, checking them out. You see, you can do better than that. But um, anyway, personally, I think what Nebuchadnezzar saw was much scarier than that guy. I mean, he is kind of scary, but uh, anyway, but the Medes, enough of that. The Medes in verse 31, Darius the Mede uh, takes over. Now, interestingly, there's not a record of ancient historians of a man named Darius who is king of the Medes and Persians. Um, now, as we talked also about the last few week, weeks, there's lots of archaeological records that have been unearthed, among others, one that mentions Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, who were captives of Judah, who, who were uh, reigning uh, I believe it mentions they were captives of Judah, but ne- ne- nevertheless, it mentions their names and that they uh, reigned in, uh, in in the Babylonian government. And there's also these other wonderful records that are still being translated. So we may yet see a Darius come up. It is believed by scholars and Bible commentators that Darius really doesn't refer to a specific person because in Aramaic, and remember these chapters, chapter two through, is it eight, something like that, are written in Aramaic. They're not in Hebrew. It's Darius is the one who holds the scepter. That's what Darius means. And so scholars believe there is a certain, if you love history like I do, Praise the Lord, you're going to be interested in that. If everyone else just try to, uh, try to um, tolerate me just for a few more minutes. There was a command, the commander-in-chief under Cyrus, the Persian, who's going to, you know, who, who shows up in, in the book of Isaiah and other places uh, in the Bible. He, he gave the command for the Israelites to return to Palestine. The, the commander-in-chief of his army was a guy named Gubaru. He was born in 631, which would have made him at this time 62 years old, which is what verse 31 of chapter 5 uh, says that um, Darius was 62 years old. So there's um, the speculation, and it's, you, I guess you would call, educated, sanctified speculation that he would be the one who holds the scepter. In other words, uh, Cyrus and the Medes and Persians had an enormous kingdom. And there's many kings underneath the, the emperor and that he would have been the king of this Babylonian pro- province. So, but we may yet see his, uh, yet see his name uh, come up. But Darius, he set over this kingdom... Belshazzar was killed and 
Now you have this second empire, it's the, whatever, the chest of silver in the Daniel chapter 2 image. It has come, the empire has come into power now, verse 2. It says, over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might account to them, and so that the king would suffer no loss. And, and so 120 governors reporting to three, Daniel was one of them, so that the king would suffer no loss, meaning so that these three governors, including Daniel, they, they basically were protecting the emperor. They're, they're protecting the king, and they're people that, three that he trusted, and just enormous amount. Any time you look at any history, really, but sp- particularly ancient history, when you have 120 different provinces, there's just all kinds of intrigue and betrayal and, and rebellion. And so that the king would suffer no loss, he has these three trusted servants uh, immediately under him. Verse 3, then this Daniel distinguished himself among the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. And so uh, it does say in verse 2 that, uh, well, it's, it's the King James actually, uh, I don't know if anyone has the King James here, interprets verse 2 when it says over these three governors of whom Daniel, I believe the King James says was first. In other words, he was first among them. But, but verse 3 basically is seeing here that the king is, is really thinking about setting him over the whole one. He's just so trusted. Now, uh, one, one issue here, the man is 90 years old at this time. I mean, he's, he's an old man. He's either approaching 90 around uh, that age, but he's just a, a trusted servant. And we'll, we'll be seeing more of that in this very chapter. So speaking of intrigue and betrayal and politics, verse 4, the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. So you know, your boss may not like your faith, but man, if you are honest and you have integrity, you're going to find favor with him. And, and uh, just over the years, this, this is, um, I've just seen this over and over and over again. I remember being in Atlanta early on in our marriage. We had a, a couple who was from Bob Jones University in South Carolina. And uh, <laughs> they've made, that university has made some grievous mistakes and poor judgment over the years, but um, they believe in the word of God. You know, they believe in the way they have a reverence for the word of God. And this couple, they were a wonderful couple. I just remember them, them, uh, telling us um, that employers would just descend on the campus every year 
because they wanted to hire these people, even though, of course, in the media, they're just trashed as these right-wing fundamentalists. And again, some of their decisions have, have just been unbiblical and wrong in terms of legalism. But still, they had a reverence for the Word of God. And the... Uh, it was just really interesting. It, and I, I have just found being out in the corporate world for about 20 years myself and it just really just the same experience. They may not like your faith, but man, if you're a, a man, a woman of biblical integrity, oh man, as a general rule, will you do well? It's hard to find people who don't cheat, lie, or steal and work really, really hard. And the Bible teaches that every single Christian shouldn't be lying, cheating, and stealing. And they should be working really, really hard. Not just hard, really hard (laughs) to honor their employer. And so uh, they couldn't find any fault. There was no charge or fault. Doesn't show up to work late. Doesn't leave early. Uh, he, he, he doesn't murmur uh, against the king. He, uh, he, he just has, he's got, just got integrity. But they don't like the fact that this guy has so much power. Verse 5, and then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel, unless we find it against him concerning the law of God. Oh man, would, that, would it be that that would be said about all of us? What it's saying is, this guy is not going to do anything wrong. It's impossible that we're going to find this guy doing anything wrong. The only way we can trip him up is if we can possibly get him Uh, in a situation, we'll see it right now, where walking for his God or consistently with his faith is inconsistent with doing what the king wants. And in that case, he's going to walk consistently with his God and he's going to get in trouble with the king. Would that be said of all of us? We've reached this time ourselves in the United States of America where this is really, really happening. On university campuses in in our country, um, there are a lot, you know, and, and I'm not world bashing here. I'm just talking about a reality that you may be facing that it's encroaching on us. In university campuses, so many of the faculty are utterly, completely hostile to the Christian faith. And they know full well that they're not going to find any, any reason to kick um, Christian groups off campuses. And so they found a little device in the last few years where they're saying that unless, if you're on campus, you're not going to be able to be a university-sponsored campus unless you sign the statement which says you agree that anybody in your leadership must not discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation and you accept into leader, leadership anyone with whatever sexual orientation. Now, and so we now have Christian groups being kicked off of campuses, gone right up to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court affirmed that. 
And so now we have Christian groups being kicked off of campuses. Now, if I say this once, I'll say it a thousand times. The, 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 um, the gay community, I've worked with gays, folks, I've had them work for me, I love them, some of the best workers I've ever had, I, I um, appreciate their company, and I don't personally don't believe we should ever, in, in, in hiring in the secular workforce, discriminate or not hire someone because they're gay, I think that's wrong. But to tell them that, you know, it's not a sin maybe endangering them. It's the Bible. I didn't make it up. And it's been around for 2,000 years. And, and, and so we're, you know, I, I don't want to belabor this point, and it's not exactly a popular thing to say in the middle of Boston. But uh, we've reached the point where they realize, the world realizes, the only way we're going to get rid of these people is if they're doing something that regarding their faith, they're guarding their faith, and there's a law that is against that piece of their faith. We've reached that point in the United States of America. And so this chapter, as relevant as any other chapter in the Bible, it says here that the... uh, so the, satra, the governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree. And whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the decree. This is the problem with not having a prayer life. (laughs) He signed this decree. He loved Daniel. We'll see that. He never would have signed it if he knew what he was doing. And but he signs it anyway. And look, I know, this guy is not a believer in Jehovah, but we do learn here that, that uh, just because something sounds like a great idea doesn't mean that we should jump all over it. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in prayer about these, these things that are put before us in life. Verse 10, now when, da- now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his window towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. And so... He is praying towards Jerusalem. And, you know, that's not superstition. It's more just a recognition of um, the Lord. He had established Jerusalem as the place where his glory would dwell. 
in Solomon's prayer when he dedicated the temple, when he dedicated the temple in Jerusalem. Solomon built the temple. He's praying to God in 2 Chronicles 6 verse 36 and saying when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy and they take them captive to a land far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done wrong and have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and, all, and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they have been carried captive, and pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and towards the temple which I have built your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. So... He's praying really... Uh, towards Jerusalem, this had, had been a practice, and and it's an interesting prayer here that Solomon prays. He's saying when they're far in captivity, remember Babylon's 900 miles away from Jerusalem, and says we have sinned and we have done wrong and have committed wickedness. When you may say, well, that doesn't really sound like like Daniel. He he doesn't commit wickedness. Why does he have to pray towards Jerusalem? Well, he's interceding on behalf of his people who had. And so it was a ministry of intercession. He wasn't just praying for himself. Please, 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 please. When you're in prayer, don't get focused on yourself. F- prayer that's focused on you, you're, sh- you're just going to dry up. <laughs> I promise you. It's not that you're, we're not allowed to pray for ourselves. Certainly we should. God wants us to. But he was an interceder, and I believe he's just following the model of Solomon here, very familiar with this verse. He's praying to Jerusalem. He's giving thanks. That's what it says in verse 10 of chapter 6. It says he's praying and giving thanks. He's giving thanks after just hearing this decree, this order, which is a death sentence. He's giving thanks. Now, I know some of you in this room are in very hard circumstances as I speak tonight. You may be in hard circumstances. You probably don't have a death sentence on your life. The Bible says, give thanks, First Thessalonians chapter 5, in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ Jesus for you. And it's easier said than done. Yeah, I understand that, and I don't want to minimize that. But what an encouragement here. It says, give thanks... Uh, he gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. It is believed that when Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego came to Babylon, they were about 13 or 14. Really important. Be teaching your kids about praying. About praying to the Lord. About developing their own relationship with God. So important. So when you have to let them go, whatever that age is, they know they're, they're already well accustomed to praying to God. It says he prayed like this from his early days. 
do we? It, it, it's also interesting. He kept his window open. It says, and in his upper room with his window open toward Jerusalem. I, I really like that. And, you know, my question for you, and I ask this to my own heart. Do you have a life with a praying window that is open to the Lord? It's a wonderful thing about, you know, reading this. It's just, a, it's just an exhortation to our hearts. Verse 11, Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. He prayed three times a day, probably in the morning, the evening, and sometimes in the middle. You know, there was a sacrifice that when the temple was still built, it was completely destroyed, remember, when Nebuchadnezzar came in and and destroyed it. But in the morning, there was a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. I believe it was a lamb. In the evening, there was a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And could it be that he was just just remembering that every morning, the blood sacrifice, all pointing to Messiah, the Lamb of God. I strongly recommend beginning and ending the day in prayer. Every single day, beginning and ending. It's not a law but it's, a, it's, it's just a wonderful way to cover your day and it's a wonderful way to end your day thanking the Lord. And I can tell you, your dreams will be better if you spend some time praying at the end of the day. Steffi and I, each, every weekday, we, uh, we close the, the day in Bible study and, and prayer. And um, it's just been a just a wonderful practice over the year years of quieting our hearts, and you'll sleep better if you do too. So anyway, God gives sleep uh, to His beloved. The Psalm says. Meanwhile, the rest of the world is running around like crazy. The Psalm says. But anyway, verse twelve says, and they went before the king. And spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. Now, Romans chapter 13 says this. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now keep in mind he's writing this when Nero is ruling. And and sometimes I see Christians doing really, really foolish things in the name of, of their faith, disobeying authorities. 
and um, and they get themselves into a whole heap of trouble. We had some friends in Atlanta years ago, and and the and the guy was just he just felt like paying taxes was wrong. The government didn't have a right to do it, and and. Uh, he had all, all, you know, he had all his his arguments and what they do with the money and this type of thing. Well, let me tell you, what Nero was doing with his money <laughs> was not good. I promise you. And uh, and uh, you know, you can always tell what when someone becomes preoccupied with something other than seeking the face of God and loving Him, you know they've gone awry. And this guy was. That's all we wanted to talk about. You show up to a home fellowship. This is what he wants to talk about. We're supposed to be focusing on the Lord. It says, "For rulers are not a terror to, uh, for for rulers are not a terror to do good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same." Jesus says, "Give to Caesar what is." Caesar's give to the Lord what is the Lord's, what is due the Lord. And so when asked whether you should pay taxes. So um, it's really clear in the Bible. We're not supposed to be just at a whim saying, oh, the government, I disagree with this, and uh, resisting the government. On the other hand, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, when Peter and John were arrested, the chief priests and others got together and they said in verse 16, what shall we do with these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them to speak, to not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than, than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The Bible teaches there is a time where we break the law. They're very rare, very unusual. There, there needs to be a, you know, a consensus among godly people. You should be getting counsel if you ever do such a thing. But there is a time where the government comes in and basically to obey the government would be tantamount to disobeying God. And so uh, uh, Daniel faced one here. He continued to pray, even though he was told that the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed, that's the way their law worked. Once a law was in place, it could never be revoked. Uh, And that's why Darius couldn't, couldn't rescind it, as we'll see. It says, verse 13, verse 14, and the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun 
to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So they're saying, King, don't you dare try to change your mind. The law prohibits that. I tell you, guy, these guys have some guts, huh? Almost to their king. It's amazing the level of hatred they have against Daniel. So the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. That's just shocking. That's just completely amazing. Here is an unbeliever who has seen God work just so often in his life so many times that it's like, well, <laughs> I'm sure this is just going to be another time when you know God comes in and delivers this guy. And I, you know, I, I hear these testimonies from from people, uh, just men and women in our church, and and they're wonderful. That they're in. I was just listening to one. I think it was this past week where there is someone in our church who is uh, has a business on their own, and someone's doing their books. And they're like, in 10 days, we're not going to have enough money to pay this vendor. And sure enough, on day 10 at, I don't know, 11.59, the money comes in and the person's like, you got to be kidding me. And it's like, keeps happening. And so after a while, when they see you living by faith in the, God, in the Lord coming to your rescue, they're like, Okay, yeah, I know he's in this, she's in this bad situation again, but I know what's going to happen, I tell you. It's like we were talking about this morning from Isaiah 43. God says, I created you for my glory to be a reflection, a witness for me. What a great example of when we live by faith and we don't get into an anxious, fearful mess in front of the world when a trial comes in. It's just such a reflection of, just of the glory of God. Your God, verse 16, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Verse 17, then a stone was brought and was laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. In other words, so... King couldn't sneak down there at night and let Daniel out. It wasn't going to happen. These guys were not going to let the king let Daniel out here. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him, and his sleep went from him. So uh, 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 apparently he had, this, I tell you, this is quite the life, huh? Some guy playing the 
Tanner Johnson or whatever playing the violin next to you all night. Um, uh, y- you know, and, but, but he, it, that was inconsistent with his fast. He was fasting. He was depriving himself. Fasting is not unique to Christianity. Many religions um, have it. And so he kept the musicians off. His sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and he went in haste to the den of lions. You know, these, these accounts that we read in the Bible, God chooses to record these for a reason and it's not just to put them in child, kids' books. I'm very thankful I have five kids that Daniel and the lion's den. I mean, could you have a better story for four and five-year-olds? You know, it's the best. It's the best story in the world. But you know what I've had to tell my kids? You know, they've gotten into a couple fixes, really situations where it's like, oh, how am I going to get out of this? I tell them, you know, we've been reading these stories for many years, and you got to make a decision. Are they just a bunch of fairy tales? Or is it the word of God that you apply to your life? And you know, we need to do that as adults too. And we read this stuff. Oh, it warms our heart, you know, and on Sunday night or whatever when the pastor's talking about someone else. <laughs> but when it applies to us, are we going to believe? When we're in the situation, when we're in the lion's den, are we going to believe this record here or not? Or is it just a nice sounding story? This is the real, real stuff. This happened in history. By the way, dens of lions they have found uh, in Persia, ancient Persia, dens that there was a practice uh, that they had uh, in the archeological um, work that they have done, uh, lion's dens and Alexander the Great's, there was a fixation on lions. Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon, a great lion hunter. I mean, and, and uh, I tell you, lions, pretty incredible. They're, they are called king of the jungle uh, for, is it king of the jungle? Is that it? King of the wild? Is that good enough? King of the jungle? For a reason, just incredibly powerful uh, animals. I just heard this crazy story of uh, Bill Gallatin, who's the pastor in Finger Lakes for many years, was worked at, I think it was the San Diego Zoo, and they were finding dead zebras around the zoo. Um, have you heard this story, Sue? You, you, you don't know? Well, yeah, I haven't finished the story, so how do you know? She used to go to Bill Galton's church. Um, so I'll finish the story. And then, but anyway, he's, fi- he's finding these dead, they're finding these dead zebras. I was like, what's up with this? The zebras are over there, you know, behind that fence over there. A lion had actually gotten in, jumped over. Lions uh, can jump up to 12 feet. But here's this. It's not that they jumped over. It's that they dragged a dead zebra over an eight-foot fence. 
And, and they found this out. They, they caught the lion. Uh, you know, a lion's roar can be heard up to five miles. And they, they uh, you know, here's, here's a factoid that may interest no one but me, but their, their killing method is suffocation. A lion will often get a, a bite the victim's throat and crush the windpipe. So sorry, I mean, I, I just, you know, this is what Daniel, this was what Daniel was up to um, <laughs> that night. I guess the good part is it's quick, you know, it's a quick death. It's not like uh, a death by a thousand cuts. It's, it's a real quick thing. Um, but anyway, he, um, the king went down early and he went in haste. It's a beautiful picture, by the way. The king loves Daniel. He loves him. It's a wonderful picture. People in your workforce, I'm not getting weird here. I'm serious. They should love you. They should have a fondness for you. It's, it's, we're reflecting, reflecting the glory of the, of the Lord. And, and, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, we, we come into the kingdom of God, many of us with irritable tempers and short-tempered whatever. And it takes years sometimes just being broken before the Lord before we can just have a tender heart towards people. And he had years. He was 90 years old. So the king loved him, went down, said, he came into the line and said, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. And the king spoke saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God. Now that's interesting. Not God, the living God, the God who's alive, the God who works in people's lives. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually. I just continue to, it, I am, I just love the, the testimony from unbelievers about this guy. They know that he just doesn't stop. He serves continually. It's not like a guy who, you know, I remember being at work once and the guy's, well, I, you know, I was questioning him about a certain practice at work because he said he was a Christian. He goes, well, I don't mix business and religion. What are you talking about? <laughs> Everything you do in your life is your religion if you're saved and, and, and you're a Christian. It says, Daniel, servant of the living God, whom you serve continually. Has your God been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. This is an expression at the time. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, king, I have done no wrong before you. Now, I heard one absurd, ridiculous comment about this from some higher critic. He said, well, the, you know, the, they must have uh, fed the lion's before Daniel was thrown down there. So they were so stuffed. Which to me, you know, when I hear stuff like that, I say, would you make up your mind because you're saying that this whole book is a fable and it's never happened. 
uh, that's what you're saying. But then now you're saying that maybe it happened, but they stuffed the lions. You know, make up your mind. You know, w- which one do you believe? It, it's, it's silly, the, the, these things. God shut the lion's mouth. Where's a quote of that, by the way? Where's that quote in the New Testament? Shutting the mouths of lions. Come on. Hebrews 11. I told Andrew I really missed him when he and Jessica were out in the Pacific Northwest. It's like, I really, I missed you, you know, when you were gone Sunday night. Because he, he, he's so nice. He answers my questions because he doesn't want me to be embarrassed up here, you know. <laughs> Hebrews 11.33. 32 and 33. And which more shall I say? This is a faith chapter. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the things have not seen. Then he goes on and describes the writer of Hebrews, all these people who lived by faith, meaning faith is action. It is demonstrated in action. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. So as an angel, some people, verse 22, some commentators think this is a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus here. Maybe, we don't know. He says, O king, and I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. So is this just, are these just fairy tales? To, is this a nice sounding story? Or is this something that you're going to apply to your life? Second Timothy 4.16. Paul says this to Timothy, At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me. He strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. And Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Not speaking literally, I believe, there, but there were a number of times where he should have died. There was one time he actually did die and he came back from the dead, but uh, he, so that's a reference there to this story. So Paul believed it. Paul's referring to Dan. He believed it. Are, are you going to believe it? Am I going to believe it? Yes, I do. I'm certain that it's a small thing for God to shut the mouth of a lion. Verse 24. And the king gave, gave the command, and they brought the, those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of the lions. Them, their children, their wives, their, and the lions overpowered them, and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. So I guess the, the lions who they had stuffed 
right before Daniel. By the time they threw in these people, they wanted another meal. And so that's what happened here. No, that's, you know, the, the, the angel of the Lord shut the mouths of the lion. They gave him lockjaw, you know, however. And um, obviously a terrible tragedy. There is a lesson for us, you know, sin does often, so often. We see this so often in the ministry here at Calvary Chapel, working in the housing developments and other places. It drags in spouses and the kids. Your sin, if you think, oh, this is a victimless crime, a victimless sin, because it's just me being affected. You're wrong. It'll, it'll, it'll drag your kids, your spouses, your family, your friends right in to, to the misery and the destruction with you. And this, and this is what happened to these, these, you know, these men. They, they were wicked. They had set him up to try to kill him. And then you see this, really it's an awful tragedy here, what happens. Verse 25, King Darius wrote, to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion, my kingdom, of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, he is steadfast, he is steadfast forever, his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so a wonderful example to us of just believing in the promises and the word of God, of living by faith. Living by faith is not something that we just have a few opportunities to do. It happens all the time. With our workforce, with our families, in our neighborhoods, You know, we're asked to do something that is contrary to the word of God. By faith, if we don't do it, I mean, in the natural, if we don't do it, it's going to affect our career, it's going to affect our relationships, it's going to affect this or that in the natural. But by faith, we believe that God will be with us and whatever happens whether there is persecuted and we are persecuted for it as what happened to other people in the Bible in fact Paul himself was put to death for living by faith or if God delivers us as he so often does it's important we want to please want to please the heart of God Hebrews chapter 10 says, for in yet a little while, he who is coming, Jesus, will come and not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him, or my soul will not be pleased 
Man, don't you want to please the heart of God? Don't you want that? It's a reminder, a great exhortation this evening for us to be people to, that live by faith and to, to please Him. 